Welcome to Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. I'm Shanda Sung, and I'm a comedian. And I'm Ashley Morgan, and I'm a farmer. We've been best friends since we were nine years old. Welcome to our show, where we teach each other all kinds of things that cover our wide range of knowledge and interests. And today's episode is Witch Trials. Ooh, spooky! Yeah, we're staying on theme. Yep. Through October, we're getting real spooky. We'll do inspirational in November, okay? <laughs> we'll get back to the uh, uplifting, upbeat stuff. Yeah, save that shit for Thanksgiving season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're still in spooky season. Although I think this yeah. is the last episode for our spooky season, so that's... <sighs> Sad. I know. Well, we're going to do it up big. We're going to talk witch trials. Can't think of anything spookier. I'm very in the mood of this. Yeah. I am. Yeah, because I just came from a trip to Salem, Massachusetts. That's so cool. Yeah, I, it was great. That's not why we went there exactly. Though I was looking forward to it very much. <laughs> so... <laughs> We went out there. My brother-in-law lives out there and my husband's cousin lives out there and some other cousins. And so it was mostly to go see family and we drove the whole way. It was 15 hours. Dang. One way. But we did it and we survived and there were so many crumbs in our vehicle. (laughs) (laughs) All of the crumbs. smelled so bad. Oh, yeah. So many stinky feet and farts. Oh, yeah. For sure. But we we made it out there. We did some other things around. They live in a suburb of Boston. And Salem, I didn't realize, is very close to Boston. Mm. And especially because they live on a northern suburb. Salem is north of Boston. It was really like 40 minutes to get there. We went at a very family-friendly time. We went at 11 a.m. on a Thursday. (laughs) And even then, like, it was hopping. They don't play around like we missed the peak hours, you know, which are obviously weekend evenings, Mm -hmm. especially Halloween itself, which Josh's cousin had gone there on Halloween one time and she was like, never again. (laughs) It's probably the equivalent to the Times Square New Year's Eve where you do it once. That's exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah. (laughs) You do it once and you're like, nope, never again. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, parking, impossible, just wall-to-wall people, just really can't find anywhere to go to the bathroom. You know, all the, any place that you are with a huge crowd like that, all of those problems. Mm -hmm. But we went and, you know, they weren't having any of the, like, big things. They have, like, a street fair. They have a lot of performers. They have more events on the weekends. But when we went, it's a very pretty town. Very New England, lots of brick, cobblestone streets, really cool architecture. And the section of town that's very touristy is very walkable. So we found a parking garage and we walked around there, went to all kinds of shops, went to a bookstore. I got a freaking witch hat (laughs) because you can't go to Salem and not buy a witch hat. Okay. Uh, Fun fact for the listeners at home. The picture that Shanda sent me of her in her new witch hat is now the picture I have saved as her contact photo. (laughs) She is. As it should be. Forever my witchy woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was great. There were street performers dressed up to scare people. There are some really cheesy things. And then there's also the historical aspect, which is 
really important and kind of powerful to go. They have a memorial and I walked through the memorial and that was great to be able to see that and kind of take our time with it instead of rush through as I imagine it's you know, when it's mobbed with people, Mm -hmm. we were able to see the home of Jonathan Corwin, who was the sheriff at the time of the witch trials. It's the only home that's still standing. Mm, Yeah, that was interesting. We did see in uh, Hocus Pocus, the town hall where the parents are partying Mm -hmm. all night. Mm -hmm. We saw that building. We didn't see Danny and Max's house or um, so the house that's Allison's is also still there. And we didn't see those there in kind of a different part of town than where we were. So we missed that. But we did see a lot of people like cosplaying as the Sanderson sisters. Of course. Is it a pretty big town or is it still got a small town feel? The section that we were in was very, it felt very small town. And I know it's bigger <laughs> than where we were. So I don't know. I'm so bad at judging like city sizes and stuff (laughs) but it's also as with a lot of towns in new england they all kind of meld together Mm -hmm. like indiana ohio it's like okay i'm in bloomington now do 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 mile 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 boom now i'm in another town Mm -hmm. but in new england they're all like on top of each other and it's like on this side of the road i'm in this town and on this side of the road i'm in this town you know Mm -hmm. and so when you get off the highway you're driving through a different town called peabody for a while but then all of a sudden you're in Salem and they're just kind of all smushed together. So I guess. So in your 40 minute drive, you didn't actually see any countryside. Correct. Yeah. It it was all urban sprawl mashed together. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot tighter out there than it is here. I sound like just the biggest hick. (laughs) They had tall buildings, (laughs) y'all. Them cities, they're just they're just enormous. And the people drive so fast on the interstate, which they do. And it's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, it's very every man for yourself on the interstate. And that's not my style. My style is, excuse me, please. Do you mind if I. (laughs) That's the Midwesterner in you. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, so I would definitely recommend it. I think any time of year it would be a really pretty place to go. But weekday in October, you definitely get the Halloween feel without the being mobbed kind of thing. I would Mm -hmm. like to, we talked about when the kids are older going back and then being able to stick around for like the evening stuff. They've got live bands and going through like the actual haunted houses that are scary, doing like a ghost tour and things like that. So, you know, when it's a little more age appropriate for the kids, we definitely want to do that. So it's kind of nice when you see a Halloween town really lean into it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What other choice do they have? Yeah. <laughs> like, they're always going to be associated with this. They might as well capitalize on it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that was my trip. 10 Very out of cool. 10. Do recommend. Also, New England in October. Gorgeous. Yeah, the I leaf bet. game, top notch. <laughs> really made 15 hours in a vehicle... <laughs> worth it (laughs) got to see that foliage yeah (laughs) yeah because we don't have that here we absolutely do our yard looks amazing i bet your place looks great yeah it looks really cool right now yeah 
our area gets all sorts of colors. We get the purples and the oranges and the reds and the we actually today my friend and I were driving back from running errands and we actually pulled over to the side of the road to take pictures of the foliage because she's nice. from Arkansas originally. And so she was like, oh, my God, look at this. This is amazing. I was like, yeah, <laughs> heck yeah, brother, let's look. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's rubberneck the leaves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you got to go to Salem. That was something that uh, I had just said to Tyler like not long ago, like, that'd be a cool trip. That'd be yeah. a really cool trip. We should do that sometime. And then you said, guess what? I'm going to Salem. I'm like, that bitch. <laughs> That's how in sync we are. I know. Yeah. Like, what does Ashley want to do? I'm going to do it and rub it in her face. I'm going to do it first. <laughs> also, I feel like I was able to check something off of our long list of places that we've referenced in episodes. Oh, yeah. And plan to go to. So I got to see, I saw the memorial to Giles Corey. I saw they had a sign saying... Two blocks from here is where he was pressed to death. Mm. And that's so weird because you're there. You're like in the spooky kind of fun, kitschy, campy-ness of Halloween. And then you'll turn a corner and you're just smacked in the face by this horrific thing that happened there. That mm -hmm. it is a very odd juxtaposition of like, look how silly and fun this is. People died. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. horribly yeah <laughs> not just died but like died horrible deaths here have a caramel apple <laughs> uh, yes 100 percent. it is it's a bit of like emotional whiplash <laughs> a little bit yeah we were walking and where they have that they have the like stocks those like fake stocks you know that mm -hmm. you can stick your head and arms through and take photo opportunities and i'm like Something about this feels weird, man. <laughs> yeah. And then we walked a block away and we found this store. This woman wrote a book called The Good Witch of Salem. That's a kid's book. And in it, this like witch that is just head to toe pink saves kids from bad feelings and stuff. And this woman who wrote it opened a shop in Salem about it. And it is wall to wall pink. And huh. everything is made of tool and it's fluffy and there are bubbles and is and we walked we walked in there and we all go, whoa. And my daughter, whose favorite color is pink and is very into sparkles and like everything and Halloween also, she was like, ah. And then my <laughs> and then my son immediately goes, Nothing in here's for me. <laughs> <laughs> Your daughter found her paradise yeah. in that one little shop. <laughs> yeah, she did. She was walking through just so confident. She's like, and I'm going to have a dress and I'm going to have a hat and I'm going to have this. And I'm like, okay, let's look at this felt hat. Oh, $35. Um, how about we get you the book instead? Yeah. Well, how about we get you a job to pay yeah, for all this? Right? How about that? <laughs> yeah. Are you hiring? Would you hire an enthusiastic four-year-old who cannot do math? Yeah. <laughs> hey, little kid, I know you're really excited about this stuff, but mommy and daddy cannot afford all this. Yeah. <laughs> Your dreams are being crushed by this economy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was crazy. Like I could, it's me. I could make, you know, not to be like, I could make that, but like, I could make it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you of all people can. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But we got her the book and we brought it home, read it to her and she did get a little witch hat too. Like on Aww, a headband. That's cute. Speaking of making things, um, my son has a his first musical. 
Oh my god! It's a pirate musical. And I got an email from the teacher that said, I would love it if any parents could help me make pirate vests for the musical. And I was like, it's all coming together. <laughs> it's everything I've wanted from parenthood. Yes. <laughs> this is all of my skills. Your life is coming full circle. <laughs> this is the apex of my interests. Yeah. So I'm... In machine mode, I have made 16 pirate vests. I'm going to try to get 30 done. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. That's it. I'm going to be a stage mom. I love it. I'm pumped about it. <laughs> okay. That was a... I feel like we haven't... We haven't recorded for a week because I was on vacation. So... Yeah. We had to catch up. Yes, indeed. We, so, we brought everyone along for the journey. Yes. Well, you know, there are friends now, too. Exactly. And also maybe here. have been for years because yeah. uh, I know our friends actually listen to this. Well, there's that, too. <laughs> and they've heard me say all this stuff to them already. I <laughs> <laughs> get it again. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, we're going to get spooky this episode. I'm excited about it. I think we should dive in. What do you think? I agree. Uh, right. I'm going first today. So my topic that I'm going to talk about is kind of adjacent. It goes adjacent and then comes back around. So just be okay. prepared for that. So I'm going to talk about William Penn and the only witch trial in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. So William Penn was born October 24th, 1644 in Tower Hill, London. His father was an admiral for the Royal Navy and very high up, very much in service to the king at the time. Young William was educated at a very strict religious private school in the English countryside. In the countryside, he fell in love with nature and horticulture, and he was just a very active child. He had to walk to school, but instead of walking, he always ran. Like, he had <laughs> energy to burn. He's like, I'm just going to run to school. When William was a teenager, his family was actually semi-exiled to Ireland. So the story behind that was... His father was a decorated admiral, and the king pretty much said, hey, for all the good work you've done, I'm going to gift you some land in Ireland. Then several years later, when things kind of went sideways during one of the battles, the king said, hey, remember that land that I gave you? Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm going to need you to go there for a while and lay low since you kind of shit the bed in that one battle. <laughs> so they went to Ireland for a while. When young William was a teenager, and it was there that he met a Quaker that came and stayed with his family for a short time mm -hmm. and was like, hey, I really like this guy and what he's about. I particularly like it better than the Catholic and Protestant upbringing that I have had thus far. This is way cooler. Mm -hmm. So that was where he kind of got his first exposure as a Quaker. In 1660, he went to Oxford and his dad wanted him to become a military man mm -hmm. and serve the king like he did. But William was more into natural science, politics, economics, theories. He was much more of a thinker than a servant type. Mm -hmm. And so he butted heads with his dad and he, William, got involved in a bit of a scandal with... The dean at the time 
was a bit of a free thinker and progressive himself. And the religious higher ups at Oxford and within the politics of the time were like, yeah, we don't want this free thinking guy, the dean of our college. Get this hippie out of here. Yeah, get this hippie out of here. (laughs) And William and a bunch of other students were like, nah, that guy's pretty dope. Let's bring him back. So he kind of got involved in that as a scandal a little bit because of who his dad was. Mm -hmm. His dad was a staunch servant to the king, military man. And here his son is hippy-dippy college kid, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Tale as old as time. I know, right? So since it was kind of hurting his father's career a little bit, the family pretty much exiled William to Paris when he was 18 years old and essentially said, hey, go to Paris, hang out with the fancy pants aristocrats there and learn some manners and come Mm -hmm. back with a little better attitude. And so he did. He returned after a couple years with a more refined air about him. He went and hung out with the higher ups in Paris, but did not like the way that they treated money and the class hierarchies and all that stuff. And he was like, man, I don't really like any of that. But he had grown and matured a bit. So when he came back, he was going to kind of follow in his father's footsteps and become a military man. Then some things went down right after that. There was a war with the Dutch and the plague of 1665 Mm -hmm. and Quakers were blamed for that plague Hmm. William was like, hold up. I like the Quakers. They're pretty cool dudes. Why are we blaming them? Like, this seems weird. He kind of reverted back to the (laughs) free thinking progressive ways. And by 1666, when he was 22 years old, William officially became a Quaker. He went to meetings. He spoke out. He wrote articles defending Quakerism Mm -hmm. and was arrested multiple times for his protesting and his articles and his stance on things part of the reason this was so problematic was a who his father was b who he was supposed to be but also quakers were not welcome during that time Mm -hmm. mostly because they kind of believed in no politics no hierarchy yeah all people are equal under god and so you know when you're under British theocracy of the time, you know, the Catholic Church and all them being high up in politics. Yeah, when that a doesn't Quaker, really jive. Right. And when a, a Quaker person comes in and does not remove their hat or bow or address someone by their title, mm-hmm. people get really offended by that. But on the Quakers side of things, they're kind of like, every man is equal under God. So... <laughs> The king and the peasant, they're all equal. And of course, the king is like, fuck that shit. Yeah. (laughs) So the Quakers at the time were not very liked. And William was not very liked because of his very vocal stance on it. Mm -hmm. Around 1670, William and his father had pretty much patched up their differences because he had been saying for several years how much being a Quaker is awesome. And y'all are going to want to get on board. And how we are people and we have rights too. And his father was like, look, okay, I didn't believe you for the longest time. And I was kind of embarrassed by you. But I do kind of admire how you keep standing up for this. And you Mm -hmm. have a lot of honor in this. So 
we can patch up our differences. And when his father died in 1670, they were on pretty good terms by then. Mm-hmm. And William, after his father's death, inherited a large sum of money. And right before his father died, his father had asked the king and the duke, whom he was good friends with, and he said, hey, look, I know you kind of hate my son, but I served you my entire life and Mm -hmm. I would really like you to protect him while you're out there murdering and persecuting all those Quakers, maybe not him. Okay, Mm. pals? And the king and the duke were like, I guess. I mean, you you were a pretty cool dude, but... I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see what we can do. So throughout the 1670s, William continued on writing, getting arrested. He traveled around Germany, Ireland, throughout England, promoting and defending and, of course, causing all these issues. In 1677, William realized, like, look, okay, things are coming down hard on the Quakers. They are not welcome here. I'm only not dead because of who my dad was. So, mm-hmm. and because I have some money, there's that. So he goes to the king and the duke and pretty much says, Hey, so since we're not welcome here anymore and we're tired of fighting you guys, what if we went to North America and the colonies? What if we just like all left and the king and the duke were like fuck yes (laughs) get out so in 1682 william sailed to north america and he was given a lot of land by the king and the duke as a going away gift essentially (laughs) get out here's some land go take care of it but then he also bought a large parcel and so he owned pretty much all of what is present day eastern pennsylvania and some of delaware (laughs) so he owned a ton of acreage some of which he bought and some of which he was gifted and it was there that he founded philadelphia wow his goals in creating philadelphia was essentially to be the exact opposite of london (laughs) He wanted to make it a safe haven for Quakers and other persecuted groups without exploiting the natives or the immigrants who were coming into this space because they were coming in tired and poor and maybe no resources or family there. And he's like, well, I'm not going to exploit them. I'm not going to exploit the natives and run them out like we're going to live in peace. Everything's going to be cool. I'm going to make this a safe haven for marginalized groups. Because I'm a Quaker. How ambitious of you. I know. (laughs) He did, within the town, have a very strict code of conduct, which some people criticized because they were like, man, this is kind of puritanical, these rules. Like, he had rules like no swearing, no lying, no drunkenness. Gambling was frowned upon. No stage plays, no cockfighting, you know, stuff like that. What are you supposed to do? How do you pass the time? Just be bored? I don't know. (laughs) While there was that, he did, however, make sure that even though he was kind of the founder of all this and he was kind of leading all this up, that he limited his own power. Like he created a couple of houses of government. He was very big into property rights and free enterprise and fair taxes, Mm -hmm. prison reform. If anybody went to prison, he didn't want them to just die there in squalor. He wanted to actually like 
have them work and have some sort of rehabilitation. So he was very progressive in, yeah. in the grand scheme of things. He wrote a paper called Framework of Government, and parts of it was actually used by the founding fathers. Uh-huh. When he was doing the city planning and developing a Philadelphia, he essentially said, I want this laid out in a grid. I want these roads named in a way that makes sense because London is an absolute mess and I don't want anybody to have to deal with that. So (laughs) he pretty much created Philadelphia to be the exact opposite of London. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a little bit about William Penn and how we got to this point, right? Mm -hmm. We're in Philadelphia. We're in Pennsylvania. I think it was called the province of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And of course, Pennsylvania being named after him, Penn, and Sylvania, I guess, is Latin for forest or woods. So that's pretty neat. So we're at that point in history where he's a grown man. He's off creating this safe haven. He's creating a city that he wants to create for impoverished and persecuted peoples, right? Marginalized peoples. It's around 1683 that we get the first and only witch trial in Pennsylvania. The story goes, Margaret Matson and her neighbor, Gertrude Jacobson, were accused of witchcraft and went to trial in front of a jury of 12 men. There were no lawyers involved. Mm. William himself acted as the judge and he essentially was asking the women and witnesses questions Hmm. so they're like we don't need to make this a whole big thing somebody accused margaret and her neighbor of being witches there's a law in place it was called like the witchcraft act of 1607 or something along those lines that was still technically a thing and he's like dang it okay We do got to follow this, but we're going to do it kind of loosey-goosey. They need to have a fair trial. We're going to have a jury, but I'm going to be the judge and I'm going to be asking the questions here, okay? So a little bit about Margaret was she was the main person on trial. Mm -hmm. And so her and her husband had actually settled in the area in 1654. And they are of Swedish and Finnish descent, Her husband was a known healer who used Finnish pagan traditions. Mm -hmm. Mind you, they'd been there for almost 30 years prior to this. And her husband was a known healer in the area. And yet she's the one (laughs) that was on trial for witchcraft. Uh Dang it. Sexism. So in 1683, neighbors had accused her of cursing other neighbors, killing cattle, causing the cattle's milk to dry up and appearing in spectral form. Mm. It was probably they went out foraging for some mushrooms, were seeing <laughs> some shit, and was like, ah, it's Margaret and she's a witch. <laughs> After hearing testimony and asking the women what was going on and kind of getting their story, William talked to the jury and was kind of like, here's what I think's going on. Jury, here's what I think you should do. And the verdict came back to be, and I quote, Guilty of having the common fame of a witch, but not guilty in manner and form as she stands indicted. The hell does that mean? 
it pretty much means this is the verdict to please everyone. It's going to call Margaret and Gertrude as witches, so it appeases their accusers, but not actually convicting either of the women of actual witchcraft. They're not witchy, but they are witchish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. We get how you thought so. Yeah, I mean, okay, okay, okay. Yes, <laughs> we're going to call her a witch, but we're not actually going to convict her of witchcraft. How about that? Everybody win? Yeah. I'm going to read you a quote because I didn't want to I didn't want to write it all down. I thought it was just pretty brilliant. This is from the Wikipedia page, mind mm-hmm. you, of the trial mm-hmm. itself, not of William Penn, but of the trial. And it says, according in this Wikipedia paragraph, I'll, I'll quote it directly because I thought it was interesting. A popular legend tells of William Penn dismissing the charges against Matson by affirming her legal right to fly on a broomstick, saying, <laughs> well, I know of no law against it. <laughs> the record <laughs> fails to show any such commentary, but the story probably reflects popular views of Penn's social progressive Quaker values. <laughs> This sounds like some shit he would say. (laughs) I mean, there's no law in the books that says she can't fly on a broomstick, so let her be. (laughs) I bet there is now, though. I'm sure, like, one of those states has a law that never got repealed that was like... Oh, yeah. You know, there are tons of old laws like that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You can't walk on this side of the street on a Sunday or something. Like, you can't ride your broomstick. (laughs) Yeah, no riding a broomstick. From sundown to sunup. Yeah. So that was the one and only witch trial in Pennsylvania. It was very short-lived. There was a a guilty verdict and also a not guilty verdict. (laughs) (laughs) Not long after that, William actually went back to England and he was there for about 18 years. And when he came back, Philadelphia had progressed pretty well by Mm -hmm. that point. It had grown. It was doing well. And he was like, oh, sweet. But ultimately, William died in 1718 at 73 years old. And I believe he was in England when he died. Mm. And another fun fact about him, he had 17 children by two different women. Dang. That's a lot of kids. That dude uh, loved his sexy time, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. So that was, I mean, we talked a little bit about a witch trial. It was kind of topic adjacent. But yeah, I thought yeah. that was interesting. It was the one and only witch trial in Pennsylvania. And, and it was William Penn being a progressive. Yeah, <laughs> just trying to make everybody happy. Yeah, just trying to please everybody. <laughs> this is my utopia. There's a little bit of something for everybody here. Exactly. Exactly right. That's so interesting. I mean, the trial itself is interesting he sounded like a super interesting guy. And then the thought of like Pennsylvania and Philadelphia specifically being designated as this like utopia of equality mm-hmm. in its founding is so interesting. Not that I know a whole lot about Philadelphia right now, but it, this is definitely going to color the way I see anything about that city from now on. Yeah. What would William Penn think of that? I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A dude wasn't without his flaws, though. I mean, aren't we all? For all his progressiveness, he did. I think he owned slaves. Yeah. But he, a lot of people were like, yeah, he had slaves, but he treated them pretty good. He allowed them to marry and like Mm. still have some sort of quality of life. But they were still slaves. So, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's so so upsetting how many people have to have that asterisk where it's like we want to praise them for the good deeds that they did and then on the other hand like this is a big deal it's a yeah yeah this is a safe haven for everyone except for my slaves except for you guys now <laughs> you except you guys now you people yeah. yeah man wow well good story i feel like yeah. i learned something I it's know, almost right? like that's the point of this show oh my god <laughs> learning new stuff every day yeah Alrighty, well, that's all I had to say about William Penn and the one and only witch trial in Pennsylvania. So let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsor. Can you still not see me? No. Oh, man. Yeah. I can see you just fine. (laughs) You're welcome. All right, we are back. It's my turn. I am going to talk about Tituba. What? Tituba was perhaps the most important figure in the Salem witch trials and yet is the most mysterious and there is the least known about her. And I think that I can explain why by telling you that she was an enslaved person. Oh, there you go. So this story has been interesting to me for a while. I've kind of I think I may have looked into it a little bit. Like when we did Halloween episodes last year. Mm-hmm. But I came across, there are several books that have been written about her. And there's one that I've really wanted to get. And then while we were in Salem, I found that book in a bookstore. So I bought it. I'm halfway through reading it. I'll talk about it a little bit kind of at the end. But she's such a fascinating person in this because she was so important. And then she just kind of disappears. Witchcraft. Yeah, witchcraft. (laughs) And just the way that she has been treated in history that makes her so much more mysterious because there was so little actual record of her. A lot of people took some liberties and made some things up. I'll get into all of that. It's a really interesting story. So we'll just start with a little bit of backstory about what was happening in Salem. In the late 1600s, there was the Salem Village and the Salem Town. And the Salem Village is now a smaller town called Danver, which is separate from Salem itself. So where we were, where we were walking around, where the memorial is, is in what used to be Salem Town. But some of these other events, including some of the hangings, some of the trials, those happened in what is now Danver. This area... In the late 1600s, Salem Village especially was a very contentious place to live. There was neighbor drama. A lot of it. (laughs) There were disputes constantly about a host of things. And there were feuds going on between families. It was just a very contentious place. And they were having problems keeping someone as minister of the village because there were issues with payment. There were feuds. There were all of these things. So they burned through several ministers in a very short amount of time. And then eventually in 1689, they appointed a man named Samuel Paris to be the minister. And Samuel Paris had been born in London and he immigrated to Boston and lived there for a while. And then he moved to Barbados because he inherited a plantation there. When he was in 
Barbados. He was running this plantation and his inheritance included several enslaved people, including a woman named Tichuba and her husband, a man named John Indian. There's very little known about Tichuba's early life for obvious reasons. It's likely that she was a native South American indigenous person, possibly from Colombia, and that she had been kidnapped away from her tribe and sold into slavery as a young child. In the years since all of this has happened, she's been depicted in some media as African. So mm. even something as basic as her race and her origin is up in the air. Yeah. There's no real proof of exactly where she came from, except for that she was probably in Barbados and brought to Boston by Samuel Parrish because it is recorded that he brought two slaves with him. And it is likely that it was Tituba and her husband, John Indian. It, there's also been a lot of writing about her that said that when she was in Barbados, she was taught about, quote unquote, witchcraft, rituals, medicinal healing, rites, various things that would be construed by Puritans as of the occult. <laughs> you know? All right. Though we can't be sure exactly where or if she even picked up anything that is anywhere like the things that she was accused of later. There was a hurricane in the Barbados and it destroyed Paris's plantation. So he gave up and returned to Massachusetts with, like I said, probably Tituba and John Indian. When he got there, he settled in Salem Village. He married a woman named Elizabeth and they had three children. And Tituba helped raise those kids. She was with them on a daily basis taught them, entertained them, raised them up, cared for them deeply. And by what few accounts there are, the kids cared for her and she was known for being a storyteller and talking about her childhood in Barbados. She liked to tell stories to the kids. Hmm. In 1692, one of Paris's children, his nine-year-old daughter, Betsy Paris, and her cousin, Abigail Williams, decided that they were going to do some fortune telling fortune telling strictly forbidden by puritans they don't mm. like you to know what's going to happen to you okay <laughs> they don't even want you guessing no yeah don't even speculate okay but what they were doing was cracking an egg and dropping the egg white into a glass of water and then you look for shapes in the glass of water and it's supposed to show your fortune and these little girls were like let's see if we can see who we marry you know <laughs> tale as old as time how many of those little like paper fortune teller things did we make how many games of mash did we do oh my god so many <laughs> do you know how many kids i'm supposed to have by now in my shack <laughs> Come on. Yeah, in, my, in my shack, 16 children. <laughs> uh, that was some witchcraft right yeah, there. Right? <laughs> so they're doing this fortune telling, which in later accounts, some people wrote that this was a thing that Tichuba taught them. And they said that Tichuba taught them that. But then they're in the accounts of the day. That type of fortune telling was something that was done by people of the area. And it was unlikely that Tichuba taught them that, but that they learned about it probably from some other little girl around there and they tried it. 
it's all very hairy of like where all of this came from. Mm-hmm. But it's unlikely that Tichuba showed them this particular thing. But after they did their fortune telling, they began to have fits. They would convulse. They were screaming. They were throwing things. They claimed to feel like they were being pinched and poked, stabbed with pins. They were speaking in tongues. Their eyes were rolling back in their head. And this went on for days. Hmm. And Samuel Paris, of course, as the minister, turned to prayer. And while he was doing that, Tichuba did what she believed would help, which was bake a witch cake. Well, if it's called that. Right. That is ill-named. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So it was something that she had learned in her youth that would help with fits or something. And it was made of rye and the urine of the children of the afflicted and then fed to a dog well that seems wasteful my initial thought is like that poor dog had to eat a pea cake but then i remember (laughs) the things that my dog has eaten (laughs) yeah dogs eat really gross stuff willingly so the time yeah so like (laughs) the dog was probably like hell yeah meal wait you're giving me pea cake (laughs) oh my god i didn't have to steal it a special treat i love pea cake is it my birthday (laughs) yeah I love witchcraft. I get pea cake. <laughs> I will say that later reports indicated that perhaps it wasn't Tichuba at all that baked this cake. It might have been Samuel Paris's sister. It might have been Tichuba's husband, John Indian. Like I said, all of this is just so murky. Okay. But the prevailing report is that Tichuba did this. And Paris found out about it and was furious. And the girls said, well, Tichuba taught us this stuff. Tichuba is the reason that this is happening to us. Accused her of witchcraft, essentially. And so Samuel Paris beats her to try to get her to confess that she has done this to these girls, that she has hurt these girls, which is upsetting on a number of levels i think first of all because she has raised these children and Mm. cares for them you know but the girls also accused two other women of performing witchcraft that has affected them and caused these symptoms a woman named sarah good and a woman named sarah osborne and sarah good was homeless on the fringes of society and Sarah Osborne had been ostracized because she had an affair with an indentured servant and had been ostracized by the community as well. So the first three people to be accused of witchcraft in Salem are people essentially on the fringes of society. Yeah. They're easy targets. Exactly. Easy targets. As Samuel Paris is beating Tichuba, she admits it. She said, yes, I was pressured by the devil. And these other women did too. These other women also witches. But this is a confession under duress. Okay. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Which of course is good enough at the time, but can't be counted on with the knowledge that we have now, which seems obvious. Okay. The fact that they had to do research to figure out that someone confessing under torture cannot be... (laughs) counted on to be telling the truth it seems very obvious (laughs) she testifies 
they formally charge her. They have this trial. They tell her she needs to confess to everything. She has already confessed a bit. So they're anticipating this bombshell testimony. The other two women who had been accused by the girls and by Tichuba vehemently deny, 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 as did everyone who was later accused as well. Every other person denied, 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 except Tichuba. She is the only person to have confessed in all of this. And she was the first one to be Mm -hmm. accused. The town is just a buzz. We're going to have this trial and we're going to have this testimony and we're going to hear all about the devil and the witchcraft and all of these things that this woman did to these children and what other witches might be in our midst. And suddenly everybody's whipped up because that's human nature is to want to believe the easy thing, the simple answer. It's not that, oh, these girls were bored. Yeah. These girls might have eaten a mushroom in the forest that made them hallucinate a bit and they leaned into it. Right. You know, or that these people who are living on the fringes of society are not evil. They're just people. And they're just people who are living in a way that is not exactly set to our strict code of ethics. And we shouldn't write them off. That's the complicated way to look at things. The easy way to look at things is these bitches are witches. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And they need to go. Also, that's more fun. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, let me hear the salacious details. Let me be aghast. Let me in this contentious town where we're all sniping at each other and looking at each other with these critical eyes let me be like yeah you know what the reason i don't like her is because she's a witch and i'm good and she's bad yep i feel like that's a soapbox i was just on now a little bit a little (laughs) bit that sounded ranty it did come off a little ranty (laughs) (laughs) nice work tituba delivered because this testimony she gave was wild and gave details But also managed to be vague at the same time. She would change minor details. She didn't really offer up anything. But if she was prompted to give something, she was pretty much saying, is this what you want? I'm going to give it to you. Mm -hmm. I know how to tell tales to children. And you were all acting like a bunch of children right now. So you want to be entertained? I'll entertain you. And then, you know what? If I do a good enough job, maybe... It will save my life. Wrong. Well. Oh. In her testimony, some of the things that she said were the devil came to me. He was a tall man in a black coat. He came from Boston and he bid me to serve him. Later, she would say that he was from Maine and that he had white hair. At one point, she said he was bald. She said that he told her to hurt the girls, but she maintained that she never intentionally hurt anyone that it was the devil and the devil had conscripted her to some service but he was performing these things but she was being used by him she claimed to see a black dog a red cat a black cat some hairy creature a bird with the head of a woman 
she described that the devil had a book. So they prompted her with book and she was like, oh, yes, and described the book in detail. And then they were like, was it big or small? And she was like, I don't know. <laughs> then she talked about flying through the air with the other women who had been accused, Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good. And the Sarahs are just off to the side going, what are you doing? <laughs> no, we weren't. <laughs> I don't even know her. I could fly anywhere. <laughs> if I could fly, do you think I would be here right now? I'd be gone. Yeah. <laughs> she said that the devil showed her the book. He said that there were other names in the book of people who he had conscripted to his service from Salem. And that was like the thing. She said that the devil had a list of names of oh. other people. What were those names? And she said, I don't know. I don't know what the names were. And initially she said they were nine names. And then later she said there were dozens. The whole book could have been full of them. She was a little all over the place, but people were so whipped up. They were just grabbing onto the details of this. The devil has a book. It is full of names of people in this area. We have to keep looking and we've got to find all of these witches. At the end of her testimony, which was the longest testimony of anybody who would later be tried, she went wild and screamed that she was blind and the devil was stopping her from telling his secrets anymore. Huh. She was dragged away and locked up in the jail in Boston. And the question that remains all of these years later is why? Why did she give this testimony? Yeah. She was abused by Paris and he got the initial confession out of her. And then as she went to trial, what was going through her head as she approached that? Okay, if I make a good enough show, if I implicate enough people, then they will be so distracted with looking elsewhere that they'll kind of overlook me mm. and... I will be a valuable witness that they will want to keep around to call on. Oh, yeah. Tricky, tricky. Yes. Also, I mean, the power of suggestion, you know, yeah. maybe she was like, well, things have been weird. I don't know. She may have been caught up in it herself after say, oh, I, I confess to these things while being tortured. Maybe this did happen. Yeah. And then I also just wrote down spite question mark. <laughs> <laughs> these people are dumb they've been abusing me for years i'm really going yeah. to get them <laughs> i think that that could absolutely be a reason <laughs> so her testimony really served as a catalyst for all of the other accusations that would later come people were really hanging on to the details of the things that she said and using them specifically to accuse other people. So saying this lady said she also saw a black cat. Tichiba said she saw a black cat. So she is also a witch. I'm sure of it. And, I mean, they were grasping at straws for many of these accusations. It was family members turning on family members. It was just very crazy. And even though the details had changed like throughout her testimony people didn't care they would grab onto any little thing and mm -hmm. if she had not testified with that enthusiasm maybe it would have died out more but it's likely that she would have just been executed and that was the end of it 
Yeah. In the end, 20 people were executed. Tichuba was not one of them. Oh, wild. Yeah. More than 200 people were accused. Not all of them made it to trial. Five people died in jail. Some people were jailed briefly and then released. And Tichuba herself was sent to the Boston prison and Samuel Paris refused to pay her fees to have her released. So she stayed in there for 13 months. This prison, it's actually, it's a G-A-O-L. Ghoul? I don't know. G-A-O-L. Let me look it up. Gowl. Whatever this type of prison was, was known for just being abhorrent conditions. Gay. J. G. A. O. L. Jail. Really? It's pronounced like jail. Weird. It's the British variant spelling of jail. Oh, all right. Well, never mind. I Maybe I was thinking of like gulag. Isn't that like a type of prison? Yeah, gulags. Gu- goulash, that's delicious. <laughs> Don't think that's the same thing. Uh, all right, that was an etymological journey. <laughs> <laughs> Gulag is forced labor camps in Soviet Union. Not that. It was a brick building in the middle of Boston that debtors and thieves and accused witches were sent to yeah she was there for 13 months then someone bought her for the price of her jail fees that person is unknown and she was never heard from again we don't know what happened to her (laughs) she was like peace out bitches good luck with the frenzy (laughs) or by that time she was probably in pretty rough shape Oh, yeah. And taken off to whatever homestead to probably work out the rest of her days. She has been depicted in all sorts of media, probably most notably as a character in the play The Crucible. In that play, which is about the witch trials, she's shown performing rituals with the kids and stuff. And in that play, she is referred to as an African slave. So I think that's the first instance of her being referred to as an African person, though it's questionable as to whether or not like she was born in Barbados or if she was born in another country or if she I mean, she very well could have been an African slave that was brought to Barbados. But it's just so interesting that she pretty much set this thing off. Well, okay, she didn't set it off, but she gave the snowball the push down the big hill. Yeah. yeah. And she is the least recorded person. She provided that one lengthy testimony, was locked up, never heard from again. All the other people who were involved in this have pretty lengthy Wikipedia pages. There's a lot more verified information about them and their lives. The book that I am reading is called I, Tichiba, Black Witch of Salem, And it is a novel by Maurice Condé, and it was translated from French. And it is a fictionalization about Tichuba's life. It goes like from birth and carries her all the way through life. And in this fictionalization, Maurice depicts her as having been captured in 
Africa and brought to Barbados and sold into slavery. So she is black in that book. Is it kind of a historical fiction in that some of it's true, but what's not known was filled in? Yes. It's just that the blanks are very big. Okay. In this story, you know, there is very little that can be verified. It does carry through and and talk about that. I'm not I haven't finished it. I bought it like four days ago, so <laughs> I'll keep you posted. But it is a very interesting book. And there are many books about her. And a lot of it is just speculation because there's just not enough information. Yeah. Like in The Crucible, they depict her more as like doing voodoo. It's mm -hmm. unlikely that she did that. Just because at the time that she lived in Barbados, that's not something that she would have come across. But it mm -hmm. lines up with the time period that The Crucible was written. People were kind of discovering and talking about voodoo. She was just a very interesting character that we know not enough about. And yeah, the fact that she just went hard on this testimony and was like, <laughs> all right, you guys want something? I'm going to give it to you. And yeah. do what you will with that. And boy, did they. And it ultimately saved her life. <laughs> it did, which is so wild. Yeah. She's a slave. She admitted it. I mean, she'll be hanging the next day. Yeah. That's not what happened. So that is the story of Tichuba. That was very long. I apologize, but nah. <laughs> I was very into this. Very long section for not very much known about this woman. <laughs> yeah, right. And well, you know, I threw in a little exposition. So <laughs> You got up on your soapbox a couple times. I did. I did. That'll draw it out. Yeah. So yeah, that's everything I had. I'll cool. uh, keep you posted on this book. So what about the utopia you've built out there? How can we see what you're up to? A uh, minimal amount of witchcraft going on here. <laughs> Lots of funny animal videos. How about right. that? So if you want to find some of our videos that we've made, you can find us on TikTok and Facebook, Crimson Moon Farm. And we also have a website, crimsonmoonfarm.com. And there you can find recipes, products, and other videos, some educational, some fun starring Tyler and I more so than the animals. So <laughs> depends on what you're into. You want to see my mean mug, then go to crimsonmoonfarm.com. If you want to see cute animals, go to TikTok or Facebook. All right. But what about you? You got shows coming up? I do. I have some shows uh, that are going to be coming up. I'm trying to fill up the end of the year. And you can find out where I'm going to be and what I'm up to on the social media. I am on Facebook, Shanda Sung, Instagram, Shanda.Sung, TikTok, Shanda S. Panda, Twitter, Shanda S. Panda. And this show, the podcast that you're listening to right now, is also on social media. You can follow us. We post pictures and blurbs about episodes as they come out. Some pictures from my vacation now, apparently. Yeah, man. <laughs> and uh, we are on Facebook and Instagram at Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. And you can find us on TikTok at Passing Notes Podcast. You got to do the whole word. <laughs> so get on there. Let us know what you think. Um, are you a witch? Will you teach us some stuff? Have you been accused of being a witch? Yeah. Give us that information. Reach out. We love to hear from you. And above all, I hope you share this show with your best friend. Absolutely. And like every week, I want to thank my husband, Tyler, for helping us record and edit and produce this show. He works tirelessly, making us sound good, which in and of itself is a form of witchcraft. So, 
And of course, we want to thank you all for listening. This was episode 82. This was a fun one. We're wrapping up the spooky season. So for Shanda Sung, I am Ashley Morgan. Join us next time on Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. I can see you just fine. (laughs) You're watching me just like burp over here. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw you lean over to let a fart out at one point. I don't lean. I like to see if I can blast it hard enough that it makes me hover off the chair. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't even get that all the way out. (laughs) 